0: Welcome to the Men's Global Livestream. If you're joining us and have a Bible, I want you to hold two spots, one in Deuteronomy 30 and the other in Luke chapter 6. Those are going to be our two main texts for today's session. We're in part four of a series called Seriously, and what we're exploring is what does it mean biblically and what does it mean practically to take God seriously from his perspective? And what we're doing is we're looking at specific men who, let's just say in a season of their lives, thought they could pick and choose what they would apply after hearing a clear word from God. And we're also exploring how God had some energy in light of them choosing Uh, That way to relate to him. Uh, You know, it goes back to that whole saying in culture today when someone is uh, energetic or emotional or is concerned about an issue, uh, we like to say, man, they have a lot of energy (laughs) about that, right? And the opposite is true. If you don't care about something or if you don't have a strong opinion, you might say, I have zero energy about that, right? Or if someone gets triggered, and you're unaware that you've done it, and they get really energetic, and you just say, where's that energy coming from? Right? Because you're not previously aware that what you did would spark that kind of a reaction, and that is exactly what we're looking at in today's session. You see, the first disciples were unaware of the energy Jesus had about their behavior over time toward him. And it it kind of comes out in a burst of confrontation. And can I just say there was no softening the blow when he did. And clearly he had been tracking what he said and the disciples response over some time uh, so that he could have some experiences with them so that when he did commit some energy And have the literal first come-to-Jesus meetings with uh, the disciples, he could refer to their behavior. And we're gonna see exactly what that is. Now, were they uncomfortable? Heck yeah! These come-to-Jesus meetings were the literal kind. And Jesus was pointing something out. In love, if they were gonna continue to have a strong connection to him, were they necessary? Definitely! right? They needed to know, and every man of God needs to know that Jesus has some energy about taking what he says seriously by applying it in your life. The crystal clear message from our study today, the the reason for Jesus bringing significant energy to this topic, it's this, and here's the headline for today's study. God's man takes God's word Seriously. And we all need to have that in mind. If we ever hope to have a strong connection, a close connection, an intimate connection with Christ. So as in the first three parts, we're going to see God's mind on what he says, right? God's mind on when he talks, as it relates to us being God's men. And then we're going to see Jesus addressing this very same issue with the disciples. You see, the Bible reveals a God who speaks clearly and gives us a choice. I want to say that again. The Bible reveals a God who speaks very clearly and then he gives us a choice. We see an expression of this in Deuteronomy chapter 30 verses 11 through 16. Scripture says, and this is God talking, now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it no the word is very near you it is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it see i set before you today, life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. So, here we see, in kind of a sarcastic, sort of poking tone, God talking to his people about when he speaks and how they should respond to it, how they should think about it. And so let's unpack four things that God says we should think about when he talks to us. First thing is, God does not expect the impossible. Did you see the pictures? Did you pick up the tone? God's saying, hey, what I'm commanding you today, It's not too difficult for you. It's not beyond your reach. You don't have to like ask who's gonna go up to heaven to get it and retrieve it and relay it to us or who's gonna have to get in a boat and travel across, you know, take a long journey across the sea. Those are pictures of distance and remoteness. God says, no, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth so that you may obey it. All right, God's saying, in other words, hey, this is bottom shelf stuff. All right. I'm not expecting you to do the impossible in order to do my will. Very achievable, very understandable. And that's the next point here. God's will is understandable and doable. Right? He's saying, "Hey, it's near you. It's in your mouth so that you can obey it." That's a picture of proximity, all right? When something's close, if I have to reach out and grab something that's close. I'm not stretching. I'm not putting a lot of energy It doesn't take a big stretch for me. And that's really the picture that God is painting. He's saying, hey, my will, it's in your mouth, all right? And it's in your heart, so you can do it, all right? So God's will, uh, he doesn't expect you to do the impossible and it's understandable and doable. Third, God lets us choose what will happen. You notice the language uh, that God uses. He goes, hey, I'm setting before you life and prosperity here. Death and destruction here. You get to choose, right? And that's, that's the thing about God. He is not going to twist your arm when he talks. He's going to speak. He's going to speak clearly. You're going to be able to understand what he speaks. You're going to be able to do what he speaks. And then, my brother, that's up to you what you do next. You can choose what God describes as life and prosperity where you're aligned with him and integrate and apply what he says, or you can go down the other path. You can head toward death and destruction by giving God the Heisman and choosing not to apply what he says, all right? Let's look at a fourth observation in terms of how God thinks about when he talks. Fourth, God's destination hinges on application, right? He says, I'm commanding you today to love the Lord your God, walk in obedience to him, keep my commands. And then there's a conditional transition. Then you will live and increase and God will bless you. Listen, in the land you are entering to possess. Can I just tell you, man of God right now, God has a place of possession that he is guiding you to. All right, and you getting there hinges on applying what God says. So if you wanna get to God's destination in your life, if you wanna get to the next chapter of God's presence and blessing, all right? Love God, walk in obedience, listen to his word, apply what he says, take him seriously, and then that is a guarantee that you're gonna live, you're gonna increase, and you're gonna enter to possess, all right? Very important, the next chapter and God's destination. All right. So some of you are in in a journey right now where this is a real test for you. Keep doing it. Keep loving God. Keep walking in obedience. Keep keeping his commands because that's going to get you there. Don't take a left turn in your journey with God off the reservation into self-sufficiency and pride and not doing what he says. And some of you needed to hear that today. Hang in there. Don't worry, you're on the way. You may not feel it. You still may be confused or disillusioned, but continue to love God, keep His commands, and obey what He says because that's going to get you to the destination. Now in Deuteronomy 30 a little later on, um, God summarizes this conversation that He's having with His people about, when I talk, here's how I want you to respond. I have energy right, about this. He says this a little later in verses 19 and 20 of Deuteronomy 30. He says, "'This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, so that you and your children may live, that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice,' Hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. God is using his prophet Moses to speak his words. And what do we see? Once again, clear words, clear direction, clear outcomes, so that his people can make a clear choice. Can I just speak to you, men of God? God's words are clear. God's direction in your life is clear. He has provided clear outcomes if you respond in faith to his words and his direction, and then you get to make the choice, right? But he's not going to force you. You choose your destiny. And that's what I love about the Bible, and that's what I love about having a relationship with God, is that it's not impossible, it's understandable. It's doable, it's clear, and I get to make the choice and I get to own this relationship. And that's how you own a relationship with God. You listen, you consider, and then you prioritize and align and apply uh, what God says in his word. All right, let's now move from just sort of God's mind on when he talks and the response and the outcomes that uh, he tells us will happen to the lesson of the disciples. And the headline for the disciples is, Jesus has energy surrounding your identity, right? Jesus has energy around you claiming him. That's what I mean when I say he has energy around your identity. There are roughly in this world, 700 million men who claim an identity in Christ. And if you're one of them, then you really want to tune in. We're going to look at two big moments right, with people who were very close to Jesus, his disciples and his family. And the first moment is in Luke chapter six. All right. And Jesus is talking about uh, he's using a picture of fruit trees. All right. He starts off the conversation. Now, remember, this is about identity. Jesus says this in Luke 6, 43-49, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Here comes the transition. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, identity, and do not do what I say, fruit? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. So Jesus is very clear. He starts off with the fruit tree analogy, right? Tree Trees bear fruit and you know the tree by the fruit, figs, uh, you don't pick figs from thorn bushes and you don't pick grapes from briars, right? They have a singular identity and a singular product. Their identity produces a product that you can see and the fruit reflects the true identity of the tree. And then he transitions and he says, a good man brings good things out of the good that's in him, right? Evil man brings out evil out of the evil that's in him. So he's sort of setting up the disciples now for this come to Jesus moment. I mean, I, I can't imagine being a disciple and it's like, mm, that's a pretty good analogy. You know, he's a good speaker. He makes a he makes a really, really valid point. And then he kind of takes off the velvet and then he, he lowers the hammer. And he says, why do you, all right, there's the claim, why do you, it's personal, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Whoa, all right, there is energy, right? And I wanna unpack what Jesus, the conclusions that Jesus makes in this literal come to Jesus meeting with his guys. And the first conclusion, that he makes is that conduct reflects character. That's the whole tree and the fruit. Your insides really reflect your 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 commitment outside and conduct. All right. A tree is recognized by its fruit. Alright. So if we claim to be a man of God as our identity, just like a fig tree has an identity and a grape. Vine has an identity, and thorn bushes have an identity, and briars have an identity, and they produce a certain fruit. If we claim as our identity to be a man of God, then our conduct should reflect our character, our truest character, all right? Number two, in the end, Jesus says, activity reflects our identity. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? So, he's saying, "You know what? If you claim your identities in me, your activity should communicate that your your truest identity is truly in me." And man, that is confrontational. Because he clearly had been watching them over time, and now we're at a little bit of a of a boundary point with Jesus in the relationship where he has to confront them and go, "You know what? That's not how this works. This this whole This whole permission you're giving yourself to hear what I say but not do what I say, that doesn't work for me. Now, men, you have to hear this very clearly. And I know if you're like me at all, you got to hear this. Because there's no taking Jesus's words in and then picking and choosing which Which commands or which directions or which example of Jesus you're gonna follow that fits into your neatly organized, self sufficient life? Jesus is saying, men, that that doesn't work for him. When I talk, I expect you to listen. You follow me, I don't follow you. And there are some of us right now that are feeling a little helicopter little uneasiness inside. Wanna know why? That's the Holy Spirit convicting you that there are some areas of your life where you have heard a very clear, understandable, doable word, but you're choosing to take a pass on what Jesus is saying. Now, Jesus has been watching you just like he was watching the disciples. And Jesus is saying to a lot of us, Right now, in this moment, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? And can I just tell you, that's the most loving thing that he can say. It's the most loving thing. The loving thing is not to comfort you in your disobedience, it's not to comfort you in your compartmentalization of your spiritual life and relationship with him. It's not to comfort you in your sin. The most loving thing that someone can do in a relationship is say, hey, If you want to be close to me, uh, I got some energy about this, and it concerns me, and I feel very strongly, and I love you, so I'm going to tell you what, what does work in this relationship with me, and that's what Jesus is doing. So, conduct reflects character in the end, activity reflects identity. Third, in the end, consistency outwardly reflects reality inwardly. Now, when you hear Jesus say, whoever hears these words of mine, listen, and puts them into practice, all right? So, someone who puts what another person says into practice, they develop consistency. Question, do you consistently put what you hear God say in his word, what you hear Christ say, into practice? Do you integrate, all right? Key word. Do you integrate his truth into your practical thinking and living in your life? Does your life align with what God says? Jesus is saying, you put it into practice, all right? That reflects that you have an inner conviction. You're taking me seriously on the inside. And when you take me seriously on the inside, when in your mind, you take in my word, and then you develop a conviction and you say to yourself, self, that's what I need to do. Here's an area of my life where I need to do it. Here's where I can apply it. Then Jesus says, there's an outward expression. You actually put it into practice, right? Fourth, in the end, Jesus says, pressure reveals substance. And I love this, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, right? Jesus says, foundation. That's the foundation of this relationship. Hearing what I say, putting it into practice, you're gonna have a solid foundation for your relationship with Jesus Christ. Done, all right? Now, if you don't, you won't have a solid foundation. And Jesus creates this image of there's a house, and whenever the Bible talks about a house or Christ talks about a house, he's talking about your life, all right? All right, there's a house, it's on the rock and on the foundation, right? Spiritually, that means you're hearing what Jesus says, taking it seriously and applying it to your life. Then there's another house. The other house is has a shaky foundation. It doesn't have a solid foundation. This is the man who hears what Jesus says and then sort of picks and chooses, poor foundation. Now here comes the torrent, all right? The torrent reflects pressure. Pressure is going to come against the house. Pressure is gonna come against our lives and it's gonna test the foundation. God will reveal to you your foundation. Very important. Why does God allow pressure into our lives? Well, one of the reasons is to test your foundation. And he will expose the quality of your foundation by putting you in some pressure, putting you in some difficulty, putting you in a little bit of a delay situation when things aren't happening uh, when you want it to happen in the way that you want it to happen. He'll put you into a temptation situation and give you a little pressure there so you have to make a choice under pressure. He'll put you into a, 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 an extended trial to see if you'll stay consistent to test uh, your foundation. Jesus says, this relationship right here, gonna be tested, all right? You're gonna have a foundation or you're gonna go with your own feelings. And so as a man of God, you have to see this energy that Jesus has, man, it's, it's very clear, it's very understandable, it's very doable, and it's very relevant to right now in our lives. The world needs to see Christians who are consistent outwardly and that reflects their inner commitment to God. The world needs to see our activity and our identity aligned up. The world is looking for people whose conduct actually is a reflection of their truest character and the world needs people who don't give in to all these worldly and cultural pressures and sell out their faith in Christ so that they can get the approval of people or political movements or um, or their friends or the tide of public opinion. Jesus wants us to stand. Now, uh, just beneath those fill-ins, what you see is that Jesus is being completely consistent with Hebrew scripture. In Psalm 119, four through six, listen to what it says, very consistent. It says, quote, you have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all of your commands. Now, the Psalmist understands How a relationship with God works. God talks. He doesn't um, expect us to sort of obey when He talks, or kind of obey, or mostly obey. If God cares enough to speak something, all right, it's to be fully obeyed. Now, no one in your life has probably that kind of authority, but no one in your life is God, right? That's why the Bible goes to great pains. To remind us that we're the clay. God's the potter. We're the branch. God's the vine. We're the sheep. We need guidance, right? We need direction. He's the shepherd, all right? So while other people in your life might not have that kind of authority, God, for sure, if you're a man of God, has that authority and leverage in your life. So let's just kind of transition from seeing God's mind, seeing Jesus in action with guys who claim to follow him to the bottom line for God's men. And the bottom line is this, obedience or applying what God says is thicker than blood. Here's the moment with his family. The first moment we saw was with his disciples. Look at this moment with his family from Matthew 12. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his blood mother and blood brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, Hey, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they're wanting to speak with you. He replied to him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Whoa! You see that? Now there's a there's a statement both to the family and to the follower. All right. It doesn't matter if you're first family, because Jesus redefines first family. First family is the one who does the will of the father. He's saying, "Hey, uh, there's 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 in there, this closeness type thing because the family showed up and they're like, "Hey, we're blood, you know, let us through, let us through, let us through." And then uh, one uh, the guy came and talked to Jesus and he's like, "Hey, your mom's here. Your brother's here." And typically we would, I think in a similar situation, we just say, "Oh, yeah, they're family." They 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 get all access. Jesus did not do that. There was a crowd around them, and he was saying, you know what? There is blood privilege and closeness. Write that down. There is blood privilege and closeness, all right? That's biological. And we know what that means. I mean, our our kids, our wives, our, our brothers, our sisters, they have that blood connection. And, and a lot of times the blood connection also is a strong relational connection, although not all the time. But you know what Jesus was saying? Then there is battle, privilege, and closeness. All right? Write that down. There is battle, privilege, and closeness. If you're battling to do God's will in your life, you're sacrificing for it. We're brothers. All right? That's what I did. Every day I lived on earth, that's what I'm doing, and especially at the cross, you see me battling to do God's will in the Garden of Gethsemane. You see me battling, knowing the will of God, battling to do the will of God so that people could be saved, so that God's will could be accomplished, so that mankind could have an opportunity for redemption. Those are the people I'm close to. Yeah, Jesus had a family. Jesus had a mom, but you know what? He redefines family. Jesus' family are those who do God's will, and you can't do God's will unless you take God's will seriously when he talks. That's why we're doing this series. Men, we are in a moment of history right now where God is raising up true sons. He is setting on fire these little embers of commitment. And this live stream community of thousands of men is one of the bellows that God is using to, to blow on your ember of commitment. What's he calling you to? Battle privilege and closeness to Jesus through the obedience that you manifest when he talks in every area of your life. Now in the Scriptures. It talks in the book of Hebrews exactly about this battle privilege and battle closeness. In Hebrews 2, 10 and 11, it says this, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, right? Those are Christians. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect. Listen, through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy, Jesus, and the one who are made holy, us, are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So the audience kind of coming out of that moment with his family, who are my brothers, sisters, right? Mother, brother, all right? The one who obey God's will. This passage of scripture is saying, hey, Jesus brought us into the family we're in the same spiritual family, listen, but we also have the same spiritual commitment. Yes, we're in the same spiritual family, but we're also in this family that obeys and suffers to obey. And that is why Jesus isn't ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Wow, man, that's heavy, that's heavy. So if you're battling to do God's will, you're your family. That's what Jesus says. If you're battling to be sexually pure, you're a family. If you're battling to love God by loving your wife, even though it's hard to sometimes, you're family. If you're battling to shine the light of Christ and not just jump in the car with all the guys going to the club, because you know that wouldn't be God's plan for you, welcome to the family. You see, there's blood privilege and closeness, but that's biological, right? Then there's battle, privilege, and closeness. And when we come face to face with Jesus, Jesus isn't ashamed to call men who sacrifice application and obedience of what he said. In this life, he's not ashamed to call them brother. They're true brothers because they're like him. They become like him. And that's that's where we're heading, you see, this is God's goal, guys. God's goal for God's man is to keep it simple, all right? All right? And the way we're going to to look at that idea, how do we just keep it super simple right now, simple and strong, all right? Look at John 8:29 and 30. Jesus makes it simple and strong. Jesus speaking says this. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. Listen, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. Whoa, that is Jesus. Now, what does that mean? What Jesus models for us is meant for us. Jesus lives in you. Jesus says, you know what? God's with me. I'm not alone. For I always do what pleases him. You see the connection of always doing what pleases him and, and Jesus sensing God's proximity. There are some of you who feel far from God. Question, are you doing what pleases God? If you feel far from God, ask yourself, am I doing what pleases God? Because Jesus, as he models it, says, I always do what pleases God, and I sense that God's always with me. And then look at what happened after Jesus says this. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. You know what? Jesus was credible he was respectable he had integrity that's what this culture needs you know i think there will be a harvest of hundreds of millions of right now unsaved people when the 700 million men who claim an identity in christ adjust their conduct to be consistent with what christ says and when we do that there's a witness and there's an anointing that, that, that flows out of spiritual integrity. That's what God is calling for in this hour of history from all men who claim a relationship with God. So that's the first little theme of keeping it simple. Jesus did what pleased God. The second theme is right here in 1 John 4, 17. It says this, This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence in the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus, connected to, Jesus does what always pleases God, there's you and me, we're in the world, we're alive at this time, placed on planet Earth in an exact geography, in an exact set of relationships, in an exact workplace, in an exact neighborhood, that's our world, in an exact country, to do what? To be like Jesus. Whoa, connect the two, All right? So wherever you are, do what pleases God. Be like Jesus in your world, in your moment of history. That's keeping it simple. Be like Jesus. So let's, let's be ultra, ultra clear. Write this down. What does being like Jesus look like? Find out what pleases God right that's why we're here we're finding out what pleases god from today's session what pleases god is when he speaks we do it why do you call me lord lord and don't do what i say well flip that back if you call me lord lord you'll do what i say and that pleases god versus brings this other energy that he has all right because he takes himself seriously but when we don't he's going to take us seriously and he's going to move so that we do take him seriously. So that's first, find out what pleases God. Secondly, really complicated, do that. Find out what pleases God, do that. And then third, become like Jesus. That's the goal. You becoming like Jesus, that is the goal. It's not for you to attend a Bible study as important as that is. It's not even you reading the Bible as important as that is. That's a help, that's a tool, that's what helps us in that journey. But it's not number one. The number one goal of God, the highest vision God has for you, is that you become like Jesus. So when we see Jesus operating among people, as we see Jesus loving people, as we see Jesus saying no to himself to say yes to God, as we see Jesus have compassion on the lost and the left out, as we see Jesus meeting people's needs right where they are, when we see Jesus breaking the rules of broken male culture to touch the ethnically unacceptable, the physically unacceptable, the morally unacceptable, the sexually unacceptable, when we see that Be like that, really simple. That's what the Dangerous Good Movement is all about. We are dangerous with goodness. Why? Because Jesus was dangerous with goodness. He was spirit-empowered, which made him dangerous with goodness, right? That is the journey. That is why we are doing this series called Seriously, God's number one goal. Look at the scripture, our last scripture for today's study. Read it out loud with me. For those God foreknew, he also predestined, listen, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. See, God's number one goal is to conform you to the image of Christ in your character, right? To be like Jesus in your character. And then when your character is formed, your conduct is an expression of character. So the work in you of making you like Jesus will by default create the conduct flowing out of you, but we got to decide to become like Jesus inside. We have to look at what Jesus does. He always does the things that are pleasing in God's sight. We got to act like that. We got to see what Jesus and the Bible tells us, and we need to do that. So becoming like Jesus, that is the Holy Spirit's mission in your life. Becoming like Jesus, that's the process and journey that we're all on as men of God. And guess what, guys? God's going to put you in situations. God will expose you to temptations. God will allow, and I know this is disillusioning and hard, but he will allow loss and tribulations so that his vision of you becoming like your firstborn brother king is accomplished. And I just want to speak to you right now. Those of you who are suffering loss, suffering trauma, you're in a difficulty, you're in a health crisis, you're in a relational fracture, all right? Why does God allow these things, these tests, these tribulations, these difficulties, these delays? Can I just tell you exactly why he's allowing it? Because he has a vision, and the vision is you becoming like his your firstborn brother king jesus that jesus would be the firstborn among many people who would be like him like god wants you to have the family resemblance so god's using all this stuff in your life using maybe the pandemic maybe using a loss maybe using a difficulty maybe using a job transition maybe using a relocation maybe using a financial difficulty i don't know what it is but he is correcting he is perfecting he is inspecting And he is shaping you and your character into christ likeness because that is the crucible. That's why why the Bible says, that's why the man after God's own heart said, oh my God, I know you test, you test the heart and you're pleased with integrity. These moments, this moment that you have, maybe you're in a difficulty or a trial or a tribulation or even a, a big fat temptation is an opportunity for you to say no, to the world and the flesh or your impulses or your feelings or the devil himself in order to say yes to God. And in doing that, you become like Jesus because that's exactly what Jesus did. And so, man, we we, we couldn't be clearer, right? What's the crystal clear message of today through the Holy Spirit? What's God saying? What's the reason we see God bring energy, both in the Old Testament and in the Gospels, with the disciples, even his own family, right? God's man takes God's word seriously. So let's, let's keep it simple, all right? Find out what pleases God, do that, and become like Jesus, all right? So wherever you are, you might be in a coffee shop, you might be on a run, you might be in your house, you might be in your car, uh, you might be at church, Um, I don't know where you are, but I want you to just pause right now. And I want you to take a big, deep breath because we're going to focus on Jesus right now and hear what he has said today and respond to him in prayer. Let's pray together right now. Men of God, Jesus, we hear you. We know where your energy comes from. You're God. And we want to take our identity and our claim of a connection with you seriously and so Lord we're, we're humbly coming and asking that you fill us with your Holy Spirit give us the power now to be the wise man who built his foundation on a rock and that means that we put into practice what you say very simple very clear thank you God that your will is understandable Thank you, God, that your will is doable. Thank you, God, that it's, it's near us, it's in our mouth and in our hearts so that we can obey it today. And I pray for every man right now at the crossroads of obedience or disobedience. Lord, I lift him up and I pray that you would remind him of who he is and what family he belongs to and how in your family, Jesus, we obey God. We obey God and that gives us the family resemblance. And so I pray for every man at a crossroads of obedience, Lord, and I declare victory and success in the name of Jesus. I declare overcoming the world, the flesh and the devil. I declare a blessing on my friends. I declare power for my friends right now. I declare victory in marriages. I declare victory over porn. I declare victory, Lord, at work. I declare victory, Lord, in a spiritual call that men who are being called by God to rise will say yes. They don't need to think about it anymore. They just need to say yes and take action. Lord, continue to just blow on the embers of our commitment We declare a wildfire of commitment among men of God worldwide. Men who take you seriously and take your words seriously. Men who become like Jesus. And the world is going to watch us. And they're going to see it. And just like what happened with you, God, as you declared that you always do what pleases God, as we enter in to that life and lifestyle, many will believe. Just like they believed in you when they see an authentic commitment to our Lord and Savior. Thank you for that. Thank you for this movement. Thank you for these men. Be with us until we get together next week. In Jesus' name, and God's men everywhere around the world said amen and amen. We love you. We're praying for you, and we'll see you next week.